0: I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the concept of a life hack, um, it's, a, uh, it's a newer word, the concept is, is not new. A life hack is just any tip or trick to make your life easier, more efficient, better organized, you know, simplifying your life. So the idea is that if you find the right you know, trick, the right hack, life hack, you, you accomplish your goals more easily, you're happier. Um, you, but most life hacks are very simple kind of things you would do in the kitchen or organize your desk. Uh, other life hacks are um, about mastering your career or your finances, your even your health or your body and relationships. There's a whole website called Life Hacker, and it's got article after article about, hey, here's, here's a little shortcut, here's a little trick. They have one uh, headline called How to Worry Productively. So even... Things like that. They have 20 million uh, readers every month at this website, and the author Tim Ferriss he contributed to the popularization of the notion of life hack. He wrote a book called The Four Hour Workweek, and uh, the idea is that you can, uh, by being efficient and all these little tips and tricks, you can work four hours a week and be very uh, productive and prosperous and and wealthy. And of course, it sold millions of copies. It's been translated into 35 languages, so it's not just the English-speaking world that's looking for these uh, shortcuts. Um, there's even a Life Hacks Bible, which I saw for sale for $22 on Amazon. I didn't buy it. I'm not looking to buy it. If you're shopping for me, no need. But um, anyway, Life hack. it's a, it's a way of making uh, life a little easier and mastering your own time. Now, Life Hacks are great. They're great if they help you to declutter your inbox. They are great if it helps you to cook dinner for your family in 18 minutes with a meal that's healthy and everybody loves. That's a really good life hack. Uh, But the mentality behind hacks and life hacks can be problematic because your uh, life can become a big, messy pile of a busy schedule and communication and hard work and... All these things that we're trying to do. And life hacks can help you sort of clean up the edges around that pile. But a life hack will never tell you, uh, why do I have this pile in the first place? Why am I so busy? Why do I, why do I work so hard? Why do I have all this stuff? To answer those questions, you need wisdom. You need real wisdom. You need deep wisdom. And we want wisdom in the world that we live in. We all want this deep wisdom. But instead of pursuing deep wisdom, we often go for hacks, you know, a shortcut. And, you know, we want wisdom, but we want the bite-sized wisdom, the consumer-friendly wisdom. I want the wisdom that fits my schedule. In Jesus Christ, our faith in God through Jesus Christ, we can live with true wisdom, with God's wisdom, infinite wisdom. We can live with God's power. We can live with God's purpose and meaning that he brings to our lives. But there is no hack and no shortcut to God's way. God's way is the way of the cross. No shortcut. If you want to understand God, you have to understand the cross. If you want to understand life, you have to understand the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue uh, in our journey. We're calling this uh, sermon series The Cross-Shaped Life. What does this way of the cross look like in life? And we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And really, this is a a church that the Apostle Paul had planted. He had preached the good news of Jesus Christ to these people by faith. They received it. But after he left, their value system was not so much being shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. Their value system was being shaped by their culture around them. And they were drifting away. And Paul writes this letter to draw them back to the cross of Jesus Christ, to that cross-shaped life that they can live, the message of Jesus Christ. And he goes, in this passage today, he goes all the way back to when he proclaimed the message to them. He wants to reground them and reset them. Remember how I came to you, the manner in which I came. And I want to explore that, three aspects of that, of his proclamation of the good news of Jesus. Um, His posture in going to them, his point in going to them, and the power in which he went to them. So his posture, his point, and his power. Um, Let us pray as we approach this. So, Father, we sit here in this room as a people who desire wisdom for life. But, Lord, you've created this world, and we trust that you have all the wisdom. And we pray that as as we reground ourselves in the message of Jesus that you would teach us, that you would show us where our uh, values have been skewed. Help us to unlearn the things we need to unlearn. Help us to learn the things that you desire for us to know, and that you be glorified in it in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, his posture, his point, and the power. Uh, The first is his posture, verse 1. Paul writes to this church, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. In Corinth, everybody wanted uh, the greatest ideas. So if you had a message and you wanted to be heard, you would have to portray wisdom and intellect and persuasive words, and people were really captivated by these uh, really uh, lofty ideas. Instead of trying to make this message of the cross attractive to the people of Corinth, Paul emphasizes that it was. A message of weakness and a a message of foolishness, really. He had just written to them in in chapter 1. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where, Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish The wisdom of the world. He said, Look, I didn't come with all this lofty wisdom and I'm not some great philosopher. I came to you in, in verse 3, he says, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. He didn't come with a slick message, he came in weakness. Now, Paul, as as we know, may have had even some health issues that he may have been a, uh, he might have had some weakness, you know, physical weakness. He was accused of not being a great speaker. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he writes this. He says, For some say, so this is Paul talking about what people are saying about him. Some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. Hey, Paul writes a good letter. He's all tough guy in the letter, and you meet him. Eh. I've heard him speak. He's Paul. This is the same man, Paul, who preached such a long sermon into the night that a man fell asleep and fell out a window and died. True story. Now I've, I've had some bad sermons in my day, but nobody's ever died. And uh, so I don't have that on my resume. People fall asleep and that's, you know, whatever that happens. But, um, And there's any number of messengers in the Bible who lacked eloquence. Think about Moses or um, Jeremiah, Isaiah. You know, it's it's a gift from God. It's the message. And for us, it's a great reminder. Okay, as I think about sharing my faith with somebody else, I don't need all the eloquence and all the arguments and all these things. You know, we should be... um, We should be articulate and clear, but it's not necessary to have it all. Paul didn't have it all. And he goes with fear and trembling in verse 3. You know, was he actually afraid of these people, that they would somehow hurt him? Or somehow he... What did he have to be afraid of? But we see in Acts chapter 18, this is describing Paul's ministry in Corinth. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And he came and he said, Look, I had a certain amount of fear. There's the weight of this calling on my life to travel around. Corinth is a crazy city. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Will this have any effect on people? Will I be... You know, there's times when he was... um, in trouble and imprisoned and, and threatened. And you know, what's gonna happen in this intense situation? But God says, look, don't be afraid. You know, look, I didn't come here with all this confidence, I didn't come here with boasting or superiority. I was weak and fearful. You know, I don't know if you've ever had to speak in front of people and you, you get yourself kind of psyched up for that. I, I speak in front of people all, all the time kind of what I do, but you know, you, maybe you have to make a presentation at work, and you might be nervous about it, but you know you've got a good sales pitch, or you've got a good research, or good presentation, you've got PowerPoint slides, you've got a new outfit, you know you've got a little joke to start, the th- you've got it all, and you know you're going to go in and rock the presentation, and uh, you pump yourself up, but here's Paul, he's like, no, that's not, that's not my posture. My message is a strange message. It's a countercultural message. Yet to the people who by faith receive it, they're forever changed. I think it's important to us, to remember, we don't need, as we walk in faith, we don't need to try to impress people. we don't need to try to persuade everybody. We have Jesus. We have the message of what he's done. So his posture was not of eloquence and wisdom. His posture was weakness, which leads to our second point is his point. What was the point of his message? Verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's a very simple message that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the chosen one, and He came to this earth. God takes on human flesh. He comes to this earth, and He's crucified. He died. Why did He die? He died because He's taking a punishment, and it's not one He deserved, it's one you deserved. That we are all sinners. And Jesus willingly takes that sin on himself, on the cross, and he dies. It's Jesus Christ crucified. That is the heart of the message. And in a sense, when Paul says, look, I just wanted to make known Jesus Christ, him crucified, it's a very simple and objective message. It's not very philosophical. Um, It it leads us in some philosophical directions. But at the heart of it, we're saying a man died and he rose again and walked out of the grave. So we can debate theories and what Jesus taught and talk about law and history and all these things, but did, did a man actually walk out of a grave? And do you believe that? Paul says, if you don't believe a man walked out of a grave, then this is all pointless. So I'm going to bring it back to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And do you believe that? You know, we, we've talked a lot about this Alpha course. <laughs> the first two sessions of Alpha are, who is Jesus? And why did Jesus die on the cross? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those are the two fundamental questions. And it's a very, um, you know, as you seek to under... If you're exploring faith, those are the two questions you should be focused in on. If you're trying to help somebody else know Jesus, those are the two things. Jesus Christ, him crucified. Very simple theology. But what it does, if we start there, it creates a, a theology, a way of knowing God and through that knowing life and living, a theology that is profound. And there was uh, the great reformer, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, just over 500 years ago. He, he was the one who was famous for nailing his 95 theses to the, uh, to the door of the church. And he also, a year later after that, 1518, he uh, developed 20, 28 theses. So he's famous for the 95, but he kind of, over that year, refined his his argument, and he had a, when he nailed those ninety-five points to the to the door of the church. He was looking for a debate. He wanted this to be disputed and debate, debated. He didn't get that opportunity till this till, till a year later to actually present his um, his ideas. And he came up with this. He kind of coined a phrase that I'm going to use. He was describing the difference between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. And I'm using his words because he sort of uh, did it well and and did it first. So theology of glory, theology of the cross. But I don't want to get lost, so I have a a visual uh, image here to help us remember this. So the theology of glory, I'm going to represent with this trophy here. And a trophy represents glory, it represents accomplishment. This is the Free Christian Church Parish Games trophy. And let's see who won this year, South Parish. All right, that's my parish. Awesome. Oh, actually, this says 2018. Oh, we won it both years, right? Okay, sorry. I, just remembering that. Um, We've got to update that. But, so this represents accomplishment and achievement. This is a trophy. And the theology of glory basically says you can use human ability and human uh, reason and knowledge and experience and achievement to know God. And the assumption behind it is that the way things work on earth, when they're good, they represent God who is even better. So there's a connection between how the world works and how God works. So if I understand, um, if I understand power on earth, then I understand God's power. It's just greater than what I experience on earth. If I understand love, I understand God's love. It's just bigger and, and, and a little bit greater or a lot greater if I understand success on earth, then God's view of success is, is similar, but infinitely greater because he's God. So I'm, I'm, the, the more I experience these things, the more I'm kind of experiencing God. And the theology of glory says that God wants me to be strong and wants me to be wise so that I can know and experience him, I can figure him out. And in some ways, it's true that we can use human knowledge and human reason to understand how life works and to, to know who God is. Romans chapter 1 in the Bible says that we, it's, it's clear who God is. Um, that We can see that it's plain by the way the world is created who God is, but it's a very limited kind of a knowledge. Romans chapter 1 says, um, For though they knew God, this is people who have experienced God just through creation. Though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. It, it, what happened was the, these people, you know, God's out there somewhere, but they started to make um, images and idols and statues and worship them. What is that? That kind of idolatry is trying to make God more understandable and more controllable and Kind of make him work for us in ways that we can understand. Contrast that theology of glory with what Luther called the theology of the cross. The theology of the cross is where Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That when God came to this earth to save, he didn't come on a path of glory. He uh, didn't come as a great political, military leader to wipe out all the enemies and establish this great, strong, political, you know, military kingdom. He came as a, a baby, laid in a feeding trough with animals. He was poor. He was known as a man of sorrows. He had no real home. And he saved all people to, who put their faith in him. He saved people through the weakness and the shame of the, cross. the theology of the cross says if you want to know who God is, you have to understand the cross. Glory is an upward path to improve your life. Uh, the theology of gro- glory says that if I have success, if I have material possessions, if I have wealth, then I know that God is somehow pleased with me. I know the blessings of God. The theology of the cross, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you the theology of the cross the theology of glory uh, says you know make something of your life accomplish things leave a legacy uh, through your career through fame through your wonderful family through your health through your beauty make an impact in this world the theology of the cross says you are incapable of of justifying yourself of justifying your own existence you are who you are by the grace of god That Jesus Christ came and did something you could never do. He took took on death for you and defeated it. You could not do that. You are justified by faith in what he has done. You cannot justify yourself. God chose you and he made you who you are. The theology of glory leads me to want to um, be successful, win all my battles, and live happily ever after. And if I get sick, then I'll get healed. And I uh, will, it's going to be about my strength, my power, my accomplishments. But if you experience failure in this way of seeing things, if you get sick and you are not healed, what do you do with that? You're confused. You're doubting, you're doubting God. You're doubting yourself in your very existence. And we need to unlearn that. We need to unlearn this path of glory and focus back on the path of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy to Jesus in the path of the cross was about enduring the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a son. In the the theology of the cross, in the way of the cross, when we suffer and when we face hardship, we know that God has a greater purpose for it. We know that He's still at work, we know that He still counts us as His children. And it's all wrapped up in this message Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's such a simple message and it is so profound and those who grasp that way of knowing god and that way of knowing life know abundant eternal and purpose-filled life in fellowship with god that's the message so paul came with a posture not of strength but of weakness not of wisdom but just this foolish message he came his point was that it was christ and about christ crucified and finally the power of his message is the holy spirit good verse 4 My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. He brought this message, and the Spirit's power was known. The Spirit's power was known because there was no other way this thing would be accepted. Paul was not eloquent and had some great thing that everybody wanted, and these people were not somehow special. They were very ordinary, and yet their lives were changed. And they experienced... The very power of God through the Holy Spirit. They were gifted by the Holy Spirit in many ways. And we'll, we'll take a look at kind of how that played out in their lives uh, later in the series. But um, the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. So here, Paul's not pointing to his own power in this, but to God's power. And not to the power of those even who are listening. Verse uh, Back in chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. By human standards, not many influential, not many noble birth. But God chose foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, as we were thinking a lot today about, you know, how do, how do we share our faith, those people in our lives who we want to share this message with? It's, um, it's a simple message, but it's not your work and it's not what you accomplish. It's all about God's Spirit opening eyes and opening hearts to receive it by faith. This church in Corinth needed to reorient their lives back to the way of the cross, and we do too. Not human wisdom Christ crucified, the power of God. In that same message, that very simple message has been entrusted to us with the same power of God entrusted to us as we bring it to others. And and I do encourage you um, just as a sort of an outflow from this to consider who it is you're trusting God with, his power and lives to change. And you might use, you know, if if it's helpful to use something like this and and write it down, use it. If it's not, just hold it before God in prayer that we might be a people who trust God with this. Um, It's not about us. It's about the power of his spirit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has accomplished everything that we need to know you, to know life that is truly life. And, And Lord, we... We go about our days in a world that does not follow this path, and it is, not, um, it, it is countercultural to, to walk this way, Lord. So we need your grace. We need that same spirit that opened our eyes to it to empower us to continue to live it out every day, wherever you call us, Lord. Be gracious to us. Continue to be gracious to us, to show us your way, to change our hearts, to forgive our sin. For your glory we pray. Amen.